the denaturalized life is the dehumanized life modern society is in many ways increasingly lived in unnatural ways our homes are concretized many stories above mother earth our food is either shipped from chemical farms across the world or much was produced in factories and stored in warehouses the air we breathe is increasingly more conditioned and i'm sure the day isn't far when companies start selling us packaged bottles of fresh air if they haven't done so already our relations are increasingly superficial and social media often has an effect contrary to its very name by making us increasingly more self-conscious by making us increasingly more lonely it is making us increasingly more anti-social our species in many ways is now leading a suboptimal subhuman life because of the increasing distance between us and nature our quest to create civilization is often at the cost of all the things that made us human that made us species what it is studies have shown that there is a decrease in our sensory perception only because we spend less time engaging all our senses simultaneously studies have also shown a direct correlation between a denaturalized life and intelligence problem solving ability attention motivation towards learning and creativity a lack of exposure to nature is shown to increase the likelihood of depression disease cause problems in interpersonal relations in fact a simple nature walk was shown to lead to a 92% increase in the number of people surveyed feeling less depressed 86% feeling less tensed 81% feeling less angry 80% feeling less fatigued 79% feeling less confused and 56% feeling more vigorous in in the time when pharmaceuticals seem to be the only industry immune to any form of economic recession and attention stimulants like ritalin and adderall being increasingly used perhaps we've lost touch of the greatest low cost medicine we could have ever hoped for or the corona has hijacked most of our headlines there are several epidemics simultaneously at play epidemics of depression of loneliness of ill health which are just as damaging as corona but far more insidious it would seem then perhaps that humanity is suffering from a severe case of nature deficit disorder joining me today is pooja bhale a trained wildlife biologist and conservationist who among many things operates an incredible organization called the protectera ecological foundation with the mission of educating spreading awareness and conserving nature pooja also runs the farm a refurbished patch of land which is now home to over 1800 trees plants and saplings 40 animals three human families and countless other ecosystems since the lockdown the farm is currently facing a slight financial crunch which is why i'm going to do something i've never asked any of you to do which is donate an amount of your choosing to this incredible venture you can find the payment details listed in the show notes or simply check out at the farm and love on instagram no pooja did not ask me to promote the farm i'm just putting it out there i'm doing so because i recognize the role that organizations like hers are going to have in an increasingly unhealthy world with toxic food and unbreathable air we need the farm both hers and the many more out there to survive if we want to survive what is the nature deficit disorder how is man inextricably linked to nature is the answer to our current myriad of problems spiritual ecology and indeed what does it even mean to be spiritual 
are answers I attempt to unearth in this week's episode of What on Earth. Pooja, thank you so much for joining me. Before we get into really the meat of uh, today's discussion, talk to us a little bit about your childhood. Uh, what were your influences? What were the factors that contributed to you uh, choosing the path that you have currently chosen? Hi, Maitreya. Thank you for having me. And um, I think if I were to presently put it, I've been born in a family that has been very, very uh, privileged. So I've been always, right since I was little, had the had the privilege of choice, had the privilege of choosing um, how I want to head in life, where I want to go. And I've never had to actually worry about where my next meal is coming from or uh, do I need to stand on my own two feet. So growing up, it was a, it was a sheer pleasure. And because of that, you know, my parents allowed us children so we are with three siblings and they allowed us children to explore a lot of the world not just our immediate local backyard but also gave us freedom to uh, step away go on wildlife camps go on treks go out with people remember when i was really little uh, just to give give you an idea when i was really little i remember i was all of about six or years six years old and my mom put me in an auto rickshaw with my older sister who was all of eight eight and a half <laughs> and sent us from what is Deccan Gymkhana in Pune all the way to Bibiwadi. And wow. parents wouldn't even do that today with a driver. Yeah, she had, you know, I wouldn't. And, and yeah. <laughs> yeah, precisely. The simple, simple thing was she, you know, told the rickshawala kaka to make sure that we reached there. And she called the aunt we were going to sing, inform us. So my parents themselves have had a, had a massive sense of adventure. And they come from backgrounds of leading very, very uh, uh, different lives. So it was no surprised that I was going to end up being a different kid, you know. And my yeah. wildlife journey, uh, so I'm a conservation biologist as of now, and uh, my wildlife journey started as young as the age of seven, where I went for my first wildlife camp. Um, and I remember being completely enthralled by the sounds of birds and nature. And I remember very furiously writing my little field diaries and stuff. So I still have my first field diary. Uh, I still I still keep it. And then when I came back home and it was school season, I didn't have an option to keep going, right? We were at school. But I used to make a diary sitting on my house terrace and look at the crows and the pigeons and, and look at the visiting kites and keep making notes. Today I saw a sparrow at this hour, at this day, it was doing this. Mm-hmm. Um, so the naturalist in me was born very, very young. And all credit goes to my parents. But the love for wildlife and environment and what I was eventually going to do started with the books my mom used to read. Uh, so my mom used to read us beautiful books uh, about the stories of nature and anti-poaching work and so on. Uh, so there's, I always tell people about two stories. One was called Mora the Elephant. And Mora the Elephant was about an elephant baby who gets separated from its mother because the mother gets hunted and the uh, father gets hunted for her his ivory. Uh, so Mora the Elephant is a small booklet. And the other book that my mom used to read to us was the Kaziranga Trail, which was also about poaching of rhinos. And, you know, I was exposed to topics like this very young. So I owe a lot of who I am to the fact that my parents gave us phenomenal exposure growing up. 
you know that uh, makes me think of a, a couple of things and i think it's in pretty relevant to the discussion that i would like to have with you which is about uh, nature deficit disorder now a lot of us uh, as kids uh, at least the generation that i belong to spent a lot of time outdoors and uh, you know i don't want to sound like a boomer when i say this but you know kids these days are i i don't see them spend as much uh, time outside uh but at the same time you know uh there is a sort of increasing uh feeling or rather an increasing almost an epidemic of loneliness and of obesity of childhood depression uh that's pretty much uh, prevalent all across at least at least the developing world and more so in countries like india so there is i i feel this sort of direct correlation between uh the amount of time a kid spends outdoors to the amount of happiness he or she feels uh and more importantly i, I also feel that uh, our narratives as uh uh you know at least in schools and our educational institutes are all about putting kids in classrooms so i mean before we get into a, a deep dive into that talk to us a little bit about uh, what nature deficit disorder is uh so let's take that one slowly so it's called the nature deficit disorder so mm-hmm. though this the term was coined by a gentleman called richard lewis and uh, he wrote about it in his book called the last child in the woods and uh, it's pretty self explanatory right it says there's a deficit of nature and that is going to cause disorders so though the nature deficit disorder hasn't been registered as an actual mental disorder or a health disorder in any of the journals or medical fraternity it is a it is a reality that is uh, that is you know staring us squarely in our faces uh, like you rightly said when i was growing up and i'm 36 right now so i grew up you know in the 90s and when i was growing up the summers were spent outside we spent uh, irrespective of the temperatures irrespective of what was happening we spent time on the on the road outside in the garden playing with each other skating skateboarding you know in the rain making little little boats out of the leaves that were falling from the trees and watching them run around mm-hmm. and i don't children do a lot of that now um ironically uh people say that it's not as safe as it used to be anymore but maybe when we are doing that deep dive we'll talk a little bit about that uh, but the nature deficit disorder very very simply speaks of the fact that our connections to nature who is our life force our universal energy our mother have been broken they have been broken they have been snipped they have they fractured and if our our relations and our bond with the mother herself is fractured it is obviously going to have repercussions in everything that we do so mentally spiritually physically emotionally we're going to be dealing with a lot of the stuff that we're seeing around us because we are not tied into what gives us energy and life mm-hmm. well a, a lot of thoughts come to mind uh primarily though is uh, you know a sort of uh, uh basic fundamental uh, question which is what is nature you know i mean it's it's not uh, a monolith in my, in my mind uh, but at the same time it's it's sort of very undescribable like uh, i mean you could come up with different examples of what constitutes nature but is there a sort of overarching definition that you have in your mind about what we can call nature 
So I ask this question in a lot of my classes. So I'm a professor on the side and I ask a lot of like one of the first classes I do is what does nature mean to you? And, you know, you get varying degrees of answers and there would be, I'm sure there is an, you know, typical dictionary definition of nature, which I wouldn't really know offhand. However, mm-hmm. to me, nature is everything that surrounds us. Nature is everything that is outside of us, but nature is also everything that is inside of us. So nature is constituted of not just our planet, but the way our planet functions in our our galaxy, the way our galaxy functions in all the other galaxies. But to bring it down to a much micro level, nature is is what I eat. Nature is what I consume. Nature is what I watch. Nature is what I feel. Nature is the way I act. Uh, the nature is the way I treat others. Uh, it's everything. So it's not just birds and animals and plants and, uh, you know, uh, the earth or the soil, but it is our interactions with all of it and that forms forms nature. So our core nature. So it brings to mind the famous, uh, famous quote of what is above is with below, what is within is without. So nature is all of that. It's not, it's not separate from us. You know, we are integrally linked to everything, and that is nature as far as I'm concerned. Wow, that's well, that's a little dense and gives me a lot to think about. Uh, another quote that I uh, recently chanced upon in uh, the writings of Richard Loeb was that uh, nature is not a place to visit, it's home. And I thought that was, uh, you know, that was pretty succinctly put and uh, just as profound. But uh, coming back to, yeah, coming back to the nature deficit disorder, talk to us a little bit about, I mean, your um, your times in, in nature and, and how have you uh, seen individuals react to a spending more time in nature? How have their lives, uh, you know, sort of changed or how, how have you seen a change in the way that they, uh, th- their mental facilities work or, you know, their physiology is working? How... How 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 do people in your mind change when they are put out in nature or let they they spend time in nature? So you used a very interesting word there, Matteo. You used something that said uh, how people react, and one of the key things that we work on, and one of the key things that I love to see, is that people stop reacting to nature and start responding to nature. Um, we are closed off. You know, the nature deficit disorder talks of the fact that we are closed off and disconnected from nature itself. So when we start responding to nature, brilliant changes happen. So, you know, it's a nice time to tell a few fun stories for us. Um, I remember, I, I mean, the farm, which is one of our projects where I live, and, you know, it's this two and a half acre space full of animals and, and uh, plants and so on. But we do a lot of our work from this base. And I remember people who are very, very, I mean, countless examples of people who are extremely distressed, under a lot of duress, under a lot of stress, um, saying that, you know, Pooja, we want to come to the farm and I need to talk to you. I need to, and they're ranting on the phone. And, and I always just say, you know, I'm not going to do this over the phone. Come and see me. This is time. Come and see me at the farm. And by the time they enter the gate and they enter the gate and they walk to me, there's already a visible change. The rants that they were having on the phone, uh, whether it was, you know, a little earlier or it was, you know, a few days earlier, has already calmed down. Nature has already engulfed them. There's a simplicity. Think of it as fresh oxygen, you know. We don't breathe fresh air in cities. So the fact that our lungs and our bodies get this supply of fresh oxygen in itself changes our physicality. Add to it the visual sounds around us. 
um, and uh, not the, the visuals and the sounds around us, and you're you're completely immersed in what is so natural to us. So think about this. You know, the last time that you must have gone out, and let's say you went to, for example, Lonavla. It's not Lonavla's uh, Lonavla's air alone, right? When you stand out at Duke's nose, or you stand out on a on a hill, and you look at the expanse of nature, you take a deep sigh. And that's why nature is like coming home. You take mm-hmm. this, you know, deep sigh, and it's just like, ah, shanti. Hai. Mm-hmm. There's, you just feel feel quiet. I remember children coming to the farm, and the wonder in their eyes. I'd love to share one story here of this kid that um, I had some laborers at the farm a few few mo- years ago. Uh, we would we were doing some work where I needed needed hardcore laborers and. Uh, they were coming for a series of days and i remember on day 3 the lady called me and said she won't be able to come and i said you know is there a reason and she said i have a child and there's nobody to look after the child so i need to be at uh, i can't come to work so i said you know what bring the child along it's not a problem so she got what this malnutrition thin child of about 7 or 8 years old i would have guessed along to the farm and this child was just sleeping it was it was the peak summer this child was just sleeping in one shady spot at the farm and i pulled out a chocolate from the fridge for myself to eat and i was walking along and watching them work and i saw this child and i was like you know i called him over to share the chocolate with him and he he sort of shuffled along absolutely lifelessly you know matter i've never seen a child mm-hmm. so so dull and his eyes so fireless and he sort of walked along and i said he wasn't speaking my language much they they spoke a different language so i gave him the chocolate he took the chocolate absolutely no expression on his face uh no change in his body language and one of my dogs mahua who's a healing dog herself and incredibly nurturing she was lying just just there and i asked him to come i sort of signaled to him to come and sit down with me so he sat down and i took his hand and i i took his hand and i got him to touch her and i wish i wish i had a camera or a photographer or a better skill to watch that kid's face light up for barely 10 seconds when he touched her his eyes became like fire there was this smile that came on his face and his eyes were lit up and it was just like everything it was just a sense of wonder and he was just like oh. you know there was so much wow. joy on his face and then when his hand went away he went back to being that you know just just this child who has nothing to do and took his chocolate and walked off wow. and i will always remember that as there was nothing i didn't speak anything it was it was this connection and communion with what is what comes so naturally to us and there yeah. are countless examples like this there are so many stories i could tell uh but it that that story was the essence of of how people feel how i've seen people change how their responses change um i've seen a lot of people actually start their healing processes when they spend time in nature and so on so it's no yeah there's no alternative yeah uh, just you know building off that uh, that wonderful story it brings to mind this uh, wonderful line i read that uh, interspecies conservation or conservation of biodiversity is so much more important because it's only through an interspecies communication and interaction that we can really seek to ward away our loneliness as a species as homo sapiens you know because uh, it's only through this intermingling this going back to the way things were uh, in in their natural state that we really can seek to 
sort of do away with this epidemic of loneliness and it's nothing short of an epidemic in my mind of uh, loneliness of depression of anxiety because uh, what we're basically doing in my mind is undoing literally hundreds and thousands of years of evolution because we lived in uh, nature and uh, of course there are arguments to say that homo sapiens are a sp- as a species are were always sort of uh, incongruous with nature but uh, it's i think it's safe to say that now we've sort of reached the pinnacle of that incongruity and uh, you know uh, so talk to us a, a little bit about uh, another wonderful facet uh, that i chanced upon uh, which is spiritual ecology uh, now in in your mind what what is it firstly you know again back to the basics what does it mean to be spiritual according to you uh what you shared earlier was was beautiful and that was well read and it's true uh, i couldn't agree more with with what you shared what is spirituality gosh maitre you're asking questions here countless <laughs> gurus and spiritual masters are spending their lifetime dedicating <laughs> to what is spirituality uh, but let's I, I give them a run for their money then <laughs> <laughs> Uh, i think maybe what i would i i wanted a bumper sticker on my car which uh, read spiritual fruit not a religious nut <laughs> and uh, a, a lot of people actually uh, mistake spirituality as a case of religion based stuff and religion is uh, you know it is it is defined and spirituality is not so if you actually go online and look up look up the meanings of spirituality there's no meaning that you will find you know there are it talks of so many different things but for me my journey into spirituality was started with a child actually started with a with i mean i tell you you shouldn't spend time with 8 year olds they make you change your life but um, <laughs> i i remember this child asking me when i was doing a session on on illegal wildlife trade in a school i remember this child asking me uh you know ma'am aap ye sab bata rahe ho you are sharing all of this but maine kya karna hai what am i supposed to do and abhi uske samne khadi hu to kuch to jawab dena padega i will have to answer i will have to share something so i gave some you know rubbish answer which unsettled me i was like i haven't done justice to this child's question i haven't empowered this child to do something about about our tigers or our forest and from there started an inside quest that how do you empower an individual in an urban space to make a change and that's where spirituality began for me so for me spirituality was was the quest to stop hunting for answers outside of me to stop looking for solutions as an activist and move towards the inside of me where the answers and the resources that i required to bring about any amount of change uh, were already there present in me i had to tap inside of me so i believe that spirituality is an inner quest that is endless you can spend lifetimes uh diving in and finding your own truth and when you're able to find your truth it transcends into everything that you do that is the way i look at spirituality what is within is without i will keep bringing that up everything mm. that is on my inside is the way my outside is going to be it is not the other way around as far as i'm concerned and uh, yeah spirituality to me is a way of living it's a way of life it's not a choice it's not something you do for an hour of the day you know people say i'm very spiritual i meditate for an hour every day mm-hmm. and i'm just like okay super have fun uh, <laughs> and if that's not what spirituality is spirituality is the way you conduct your life it is how you speak it is how you act it is what you choose it is how you 
do everything. It's a way of life. It's a way of living. It's a way of thinking. It's a way of being. It is not something you do. So I came across another very uh, interesting quote by uh, Abraham Joshua Hessel. I think that's what his name was. Uh, and he said that to be spiritual is to be constantly amazed. Uh, would you agree with that? I do. I do. I totally. As I'm sitting here right now, I have these Buddhist flags that are hanging. And while I'm speaking to you, there is this bulbul who's clearly building a nest. And he's looking for he's looking for strings to tie his nest. And he he's coming along to these Buddhist flags, my dear, for mm-hmm. the last 10 minutes and pulling out a string from the prayer flags at the bottom, which are slightly shredded. And he's pulling them and taking them back. <laughs> if I weren't, if I was switched off, I wouldn't notice this, this great thing. Yeah, you know? yeah. Uh, so it is constantly being amazed at everything that, my God, I wake up every morning with a fully functional body after 10 hours of sleep. And yes, I sleep 10 hours every night. <laughs> I wake up every morning with that functional body. I thought I was the only one. <laughs> no, no. Uh, I could. I, I'm a cat at heart. Uh, <laughs> but yes, sir, you're saying. To be, to, to be completely amazed continually and be in this permanent state of awareness that everything is functioning in perfect harmony and balance. It's. I mean, I have my bad days. I have my yeah. days when I'm just like, what the hell is happening? Everything's like gone for a toss. And I have yeah. to remind myself, and that is what spirituality is. That boss, sub function ho hai. Like one of my big cats, his name is Sir Percy, and he's a Himalayan. He's about seven and a half kgs. He's a big boy, wow. and uh, he, you know, he's quite furry. So in the monsoon, he gets really fed up because his paws get wet and his boots get wet and his fur already has something on it. But I never see him frustrated. He sort of just sits in my room or finds a table where it's nice and dry and none of the other kittens and cats are harassing him because he's this, you know, I, I call him Sir Percy. Uh, so he's mm-hmm. this above above everybody type. And he just sits there and when I look at him, there's this patience. There's this belief that everything is in balance and that's it. That the rain will stop, the sun will shine and life will be fine. Wow. Uh, that's... So, so, so it's a continual awareness and amazement. I, I couldn't agree more to that quote. That that really gives you so much to think about. Firstly, it's uh, it's sort of humbling because in so many ways we have uh, assumed this position of control and supremacy that you know we've just lauded onto ourselves that we are the rulers of this world. Whereas uh, you know I think to be spiritual, at least as far as 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 far as I have understood it, is to sort of take a step back and understand how small you are, uh, not in terms of insignificance, but in terms of uh, being a part of something much bigger and and something that you have absolutely no control over, you know, realizing your place uh, in the grander scheme of things is, I, I think, you know, an incredibly uh, spiritual way of looking at things. And uh, I think it's really incredibly important these days as well, uh, especially because uh, most of us are so caught up in uh, making a living that we have sort of forgotten how to make a life. You know, and uh, just in 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 doing so, we're we're leading these subhuman, suboptimal lives, uh, where uh, you know we're not really happy doing what we're doing, and our actions are not making the planet happy in any way. They're not making the millions of species that we share this planet with uh, any happy. They're not making the you know the climate cycles any more happy, any more harmonious, and 
you know some of us are making a living yeah but we're not really making a life is what i feel but coming but, back you know, to i'd beg yeah. to i'd beg to differ there for a moment if you don't oh, mind yeah. that sure of course our our uh, base in in the grand scheme of things we are we are we are a small part of it is what you said right but mm-hmm. spirituality essentially exactly changes that story it says that in the grand scheme of things we are exactly where we need to be the moment mm-hmm. we put objectives like small it allows our human nature to say that i am incapable of making a difference i'm incapable mm-hmm. of bringing about change because in the grand scheme of things i'm such a tiny speck uh spirituality allows you to see that your infinite power and your infinite uh, opportunity all coupled into you you are not just another little thing in it right spirituality gives yeah. when the moment you start to dive inside of you you realize you are phenomenally capable and you see and you know keeping our conversation linked to uh, ecology as opposed to spirituality and philosophy i'd mm-hmm. like to bring that same thing back into into the fact that the moment you start working with the planet and you start working with everything around you and you start working with with the facets of nature spirituality gives you that lesson that you know you are an agent of change and you are capable of infinity you are not limited by what i mean buddha said right that the yes. mind that perceives the limitation is the limitation so would you then agree that uh, you know these very highfalutin notions of sort of non duality are are really all the more applicable today because either where we view ourselves as the rulers of the world or we view ourselves as insignificant to the world you know uh, but uh you know sort of that's because finding... we like uh, we like extremes no yeah we like black and white that's very true that's the thing and i'm a very i'm i'm a very black and white person and the thing that spirituality has done to me is bring me majorly into the gray um, <laughs> uh but the the beauty is that where it all stops right there are so many things i mean why should it be gray why can't it be like the entire palette of the rainbow and everything mm-hmm. else that comes with it who said there's black white and gray only right mm-hmm. uh like i always tell people think outside the box but i tell them i said i don't know what the box is so i don't know how yeah. to think outside of it i don't see the box <laughs> where is the box what what box yeah so it's I, like that i think it's it's more important to answer what does it mean to think and how do we think in the first place and then Absolutely. we look at you know where the box is and our position relative to the box but coming back to spiritual ecology tell us uh, in your experience why do you think it's important to us today i mean uh, in the sort of 9 to 5 well not any uh, not currently but in the larger scheme of things people still live these kind of 9 to 5 lives uh, and you know when it's so difficult for most people to make ends meet and it's so difficult for people to find happiness in their jobs and with their families why is spiritual ecology something that they should now you know give their thought to hmm uh so to just understand what spiritual ecology is right spiritual ecology is based on the fact that we have a connection with the earth and uh, everything connected to the planet the universe systems animals the way a river flows all of that is innately linked to our being everything is intermeshed so james lovelock had proposed a theory a long time ago and a lot of people passed it as theory of the gaia hypothesis and in the gaia hypothesis he essentially talks about the earth is one living beating organism not a separation like we have created her of boundaries countries people species gender and so on 
So if the earth functions as one living, beating organism, everything that I do is going to have an impact. Everything that I choose is going to have an impact. Everything that I think is going to make a difference. Uh, so spiritual look at, uh, ecology essentially looks at, at the way we operate uh, in the framework of the planet itself. And how is it important? I mean, I'm, I feel saddened by the fact that we've moved so far away from it. Uh, you know, it's a thinking disorder to think that we are separate from nature. Uh, it is. It, I, I personally think that we have lost it if we think that we are anything separate from nature. The moment we say they and us, when mm-hmm. we call animals them and we call us us and say that we are different, how can yeah. it be that we are different when we all breathe the same air, we are made of the same molecules and the same particles, our internals are largely the same. Uh, is it only our response that changes everything? So I always tell people in, in, this, in this setup that a lot of philosophies and religious texts believe that man is superior, right? And yeah. uh, it is only the paganistic and shamanistic uh, world religions or the more sort of religions that are linked into the earth and her system talk about us being a part of the story. But to take mainstream religion, it talks about us and our superiority. Now, the question that begs my mind and what a lot of people come and ask me is, I'm a telepathic animal communicator, and there are some phenomenal conversations that I've had with animals and plants and trees, and uh, it humbles me. So what are we working towards, right? If I were to pinpoint a few basic things that we as humans try to work towards, we want to work towards unconditional love. We want to work towards patience, towards towards loyalty, uh, towards trust, and towards faith, right? I mean, these are the kinds of things we aspire to. Uh, have as qualities and uh, have you ever met a dog and do you think yeah. that the dog embodies all of it <laughs> well uh, i think dogs are just the best beings ever so <laughs> i i won't ever say a bad thing about a dog no but if you look at it like unconditional love trust yeah. loyalty faith yeah. absolute belief and a complete at peace they're at peace you know uh, animals are at peace they're not at they're i mean a lot of people argue with this one thing that nature is cruel Nature is cruel because we think of it as cruel. The difference between nature and us is that we are exploitative. Nature is not yeah. exploitative. It doesn't exploit anything or anyone. Uh, yep. We as as a species on this planet have become exploitative for gain, for very short-term gain. So spiritual ecology looks at, I mean, in this, in this current pandemic, uh, so if this podcast is going to be around for a long time, for those who are listening, in 2020, we have faced with the COVID COVID-19, 19, no? Or COVID-20, what's it called? I don't know. COVID-19, I think it's called. Uh, yeah. yeah, I live in this farm life. It's like whatever. <laughs> uh, but this, this COVID-19 thing that's happening in the year 2020, it's a, it's, it's a phenomenal opportunity. Like, I thank Corona every morning in my affirmative work. And I tell her, thank you for giving us the opportunity to look beyond the nonsense that we've been living. Yeah. Inside of us and create more time for the things that we love to do and that we are happy doing. Uh, as opposed to, you know, this systematic thing that we've been believed to, uh, we've been led to believe that we have to lead. So it's all the more time right now for us to dive dive into the things that we enjoy doing, that we love to do. I'm hearing countless people complain right now about loneliness and about isolation and, you know, uh, I don't want to be stuck inside and I, I'm bored and this and that. And you think how many times that I would like more family time, I would like shorter work hours, I would like yep. cleaner air, healthier eating. Yeah. yeah. The universe said, yeah. 
So no, I'm going to correct myself. I'm not advocating eating spoonfuls of mud, but yeah, it's fun anyway. <laughs> Uh, it's not like we're eating anything less than poison in most of our food, so might as well eat mud. Definitely. But, um, so you know, in Japan, very recently, uh, because Japan is the uh, leads so many of these innovative things. But in Japan, I recently heard that to reduce stress, they put a pot full of sand on people's desks, and every time they felt anxious or they felt stressed, they were advised to put their hands in the sand and just play with the sand. And uh, it was proven that that stress levels reduced considerably, considerably, and uh, that people felt lighter after doing that. Now that's such a simple act, right? There's just a pot full of sand, and you're just asked to play with that sand. What does that do? Is the core question to ask. What does that do? It takes us back to a childhood response of having the free time. It takes us back to uh, carefreeness. It takes us back to absolute freedom it takes us back to the mother it it takes us back to so many things right it is the mm-hmm. act of just playing with sand granules on your table which are probably synthetic for all you know but mm-hmm. just that simple act was incredibly healing for so many people so in terms of a call to action in terms of how people can do stuff in their urban urban lives is starting to like you said spirituality is about being continually amazed continually in wonder so you know we are blessed at least in india uh to have a lot of nature around us uh and i think a lot of i mean people feel pessimistic about the environment but i i remember telling my classes always that the uh, environmental revolution is the largest revolution in the world every country is talking about it they might be in denial they might be in denial of climate change they might not be doing what is required but they're talking about it which means that everybody is paying attention to ecology and the environment uh So I mean simple tips if I were to give people you know just get a few pots and plant a few pots like I've been to corporate offices my dear mm-hmm. where they put fake plants and uh and there's not a single plant around them and they're spending hours and hours of their day and night in these concrete buildings breathing nothing but air conditioned air they not being able to see whether the sun is up or not or whether it's raining there's no windows that can be opened it is like jail it is worse than jail in jail at least aapko khuli hawa to milti hai uh it's horrible so the least that people can do is and i i tell a lot of urban people to plant one sapling ghar pe ye mere se seed leke jao take this little seed and plant it at home and nurture this plant and you should see the wonder you should see what it does to people you know suddenly oh my sprout is from oh my god it's green oh my god it's got leaves it's amazing uh, yeah. it could be something as simple as that act to those who are slightly more privileged or have the time to at least once in the year step out into the rain and get drenched to the bone to walk mm-hmm. bare feet i remember a bunch of school teachers had come to me and i made them walk bare feet around the farm for half an hour at the end of half an hour there were three teachers who broke down and cried and they were just like i haven't walked without my shoes since i was a 5 year old and i'm just like wow so yeah. we we are uh, we are living in high rise apartments so we are moving away from from the ground itself right forget our forget the deeper concept of moving away from the earth hum the ground se upar chale gaye hum you know we are living in the skies uh, so just just i mean the simplest of things we can do to connect to nature is one 
pay attention pay attention that nature is all around you like in this corona time the fact that so much wildlife is seen on the streets and in the cities and in the urban spaces makes me always wonder about the fact that yaar baki time pe ye wildlife tha ka how was it surviving where were they yeah how did they come back so quickly like there's a neil guy walking in the middle of noida in in india uh like where was the neil guy for all this time it couldn't have possibly just walked over yeah flamingos in bombay for me was just like an eye opener like wow flamingos in bombay who would have expected yeah but flamingos have always come to bombay it was the sheer numbers that they came in this year right yeah uh, they, they've always been around but i mean mumbai is a classic case of of uh, the sanjay gandhi national park and the leopards of sanjay gandhi national park they yeah. survived phenomenally well in borivli and they are existing and coexisting with a population of 20 million people that's right no 20 million no? Uh, i think so people around them so it's incredible that nature is resilient and it survives all around you if you're willing to pay attention we are quick to kill a lizard and we are quick to kill kill a bunch of ants that might come for your sugar we are not we are not aware enough to think that their life lives as well and they're playing a role in the ecosystem uh going and killing ecosystems in urban spaces is causing destruction so awareness can come from the slightest of things so people tell me ki puja tu to farm pe rehti hai tu badi baatein kar sakti hai and i said no i said have you noticed the view from your building have you noticed what trees are there have you noticed the birds that visit and the answer usually is a no because they think they need to go to a national park or a forest yeah to get connected with nature but you don't you can connect with nature in your house um you can connect with you know it starts with the food you eat have you tasted the food that you eat when was the last time you tasted what you were eating as opposed mm-hmm. to just shoving it down your throat so all of that is part of connecting to nature right i mean food comes from nature everything comes from nature so and there's incredible ways to connect with nature even in our urban lives i believe well i think that's that's quite an a hopeful tone to leave this uh, podcast on pooja wale thank you so much for joining me Thank you my dear for having me it was beautiful and i look forward to hearing this uh, replay definitely all right to those of you that have managed to reach this far in the podcast thank you so so much you obviously love me very much or you genuinely enjoyed the show either way i owe you one and i want to do something for you I want to give you the best podcast experience possible. So tell me how I can do that. Tell me how I can make my podcast better. Tell me what I'm doing wrong. Tell me what I'm doing right. Tell me what you'd like to hear more of or what you'd like to hear less of. If you liked or disliked something I said or have any views, comments, criticisms. Honestly, they don't even have to be constructive. If you have anything at all to say, you can write to me at my personal email. That's maitreya.ghorpade at gmail.com. That's M-A-I-T-R-E-Y-A dot G-H-O-R-P-A-D-E at gmail.com. Or find me on Instagram at my personal handle or on at waternoth. I hope to hear from you soon. Thank you.